thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. We've always taken mums the word to mean keeping things to ourselves. Well, this is no longer the case as we provide mums with the natural, honest, and reliable resources they need from experts and other mums to keep their families happy, healthy, and safe. Be prepared to use your passion for parenting to empower yourself with the knowledge of choice. Welcome to Mums the Word with your host, mum and chiropractor, Kaz Jaff. Hey everybody, I'm sure that you can uh, already hear the excitement in my voice uh, to bring to you this next guest. Um, I've even forgotten to introduce myself. Hi, it's Kaz Jaff and you by listening to Mums the Word, which you probably know and ideally tune in every week. Our guest this week is Barbara Harper and we are talking all things water birth and it has been an episode I've wanted to bring to you for quite some time and just due to proximity and time zones and I guess travel schedules and life, it's taken this long but I am super thrilled to introduce to you Barbara Harper and she's an internationally recognized expert on water birth and gentle birth, dedicating her life to changing the way we welcome babies into the world. Over the past four decades, Barbara has worked as an OB and pediatric nurse, a home birth midwife, a midwifery instructor, a doula and a doula trainer, and a childbirth instructor. She has used her vast experience to, to develop many unique seminars, which she teaches within hospitals, midwifery and medical schools, and community groups worldwide. She founded Waterbirth International in 1988 to ensure that water birth is an available option for all women. She has authored many journal articles and the highly acclaimed book and DVD, Gentle Birth Choices. Her next book, Birth, Bath and Beyond, a practical water birth guide for parents and providers, will be ready for publication soon. She lives in Boca Raton, Florida, where she is active in her community as a volunteer and as a midwifery and doula mentor and teacher. Her website is waterbirth.org, which we will also share later on in the episode. But very excited to introduce to you and share the, the wisdom from Barbara Harper. Enjoy the episode and please do share it. Hey, Barbara, I am so thrilled to have you on the podcast. It's been a while coming and, um, well, I'm just, yeah, really thrilled to have you on and welcome to the show. Could you please tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, thank you, Karen. This is, um, or Kaz, I, Both you know, yeah, we we started this um, last May, this past May, while I was in uh, Xi'an, China. I was teaching there, but more importantly, I was there to assist with a home water birth, which turned out to be very beautiful um, and very illegal in China. Um, I personally had a water birth coming up 32 years ago this October uh, with my second child. My son Samuel was born at home just after midnight on the 27th of October in 1984. And it was such an amazing journey that I started the year before uh, by helping uh, on a woman uh, who was in who came into my office, I was working as a pediatric nurse in a holistic medical practice. And this woman came in very pregnant, and I asked her where she was going to have her baby. And thinking that she was going to tell me one of two hospitals in the city where I was, Santa Barbara, California, I was very surprised when she said I was she was going to have a home birth. And and then without a hesitation, she said, and in water. And I looked at her and I said, well, how does that work? <laughs> so, so that initial introduction uh, took me on a spiritual and intellectual and physical journey that ended that October uh, night in my bedroom with candlelight and pocketbell on uh, a tape recording. And I turned to my midwife and told her right at that moment, I, I mean, just a few minutes after my baby was born, and said, oh my God, this was so easy. We have to tell women uh, about water birth. This is incredible. Absolutely. <laughs> and, Absolutely. Oh. My sentiments too. And um you know, anyone I know who has had a baby in water, 
will only ever choose to do that again that way. Well, having um, that experience, uh, about two months later, I was teaching a workshop for professionals in my living room while I nursed my baby. And I had midwives and nurses come from all over California at that point. And I'm still friends with a lot of the midwives who were present in that uh, 1985 workshop. Um, it, it was, it's been an incredible journey for this 32 years. During my pregnancy with Sam, I actually went to France to meet Frédéric Laboyer, to meet Michel Audin, uh, to go to the hospitals in Les Lila outside of Paris and the hospital in Pitivier, because I, I'm, a, I'm an eye person. I searched here, I searched there. Before we had iPads, we had eye searches, and, <laughs> and I, I searched medical libraries and anthropology libraries. Um, I, I just couldn't take someone's word for it. I had to do my own research, and what I learned in France was not only was it a possibility, but it was a reality. It was a reality at both the hospitals in, in um, uh, the Hospital General in, in PTVA and the hospital where Frédéric Laboyer did a lot of his uh, important and famous work and uh, met some women that had labored and given birth in water. Um, and by 1986, I did it again, and I was starting to get requests, even in 1985, from from women uh, saying, I heard you had a water birth. How did you do it? Can you help me? And from that point forward, I began um, a nonprofit organization called Water Birth International and started publishing letters and summaries of, of my trips and uh, was on ABC television, was on NBC. I, I just would not shut up about it. And at the, in the very beginning, I received a lot of condemnation from um, the medical people, but also from midwives. Midwives all over were saying, ooh, water birth, that's dangerous. And water birth, that's messy. Ooh, water birth, that's disgusting. And little by little, uh, the things that I heard, like if we were meant to have a baby in water, we'd have gills. Uh, that stopped happening, and more and more midwives came to the realization that it eased the woman's labor and facilitated a much easier birth process. So, but I had to be diligent about sending out correct and useful information. Uh, information on the physiology of the newborn breathing, information on what water temperature, what, how to treat the water, um, how to prevent infection. All of those things had to be incorporated into my message of like, hey, this is great. You should try it, became um, a, basically a book in 1989 uh, after I had started Water Birth International. I started writing a book, which eventually was published in 1992, called Gentle Birth Choices. And I uh, revised the book and um, the 2005 book, along with a DVD that I had created, is still selling to this day. Um, with all of that information, including a how-to in the back of the book, letters to write to your hospital, how to present it. Um, to your, you know, what questions to ask your midwife, what questions to ask your doctor, how to set up a tub, how, how to make your environment um, mother-friendly, whether it's in the birth center, in a hospital, or at home. All of those things were in gentle birth choices. And if but, I'm not wrong, or, that's now also available in Chinese and um, some other languages too. Um, Spanish. It's been published in nine languages. Yeah. yeah. yeah and oh my gosh, the Chinese edition sold 3,000 copies in 24 hours. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> um, but, I, but I have been working in China uh, for the last 11 years 
um, taking this message of gentle birth. And water is simply one element that makes the birth easier, but it also represents a mindset that says, this is the woman's experience. Let's make it the best possible experience that she can have. And water is the great liber- liberator. Uh, it, it facilitates her ease of movement. It facilitates her ease of hormone release. It facilitates her um, uh, being able to get into any position for the expulsion of the baby. Water is also a great communicator. Water has memory and the baby grows in water. You know, uh, if the baby came out on the bed in an intact amniotic sac and after the baby was born, the sac broke and the baby was born out of the sac, that's the original water birth. And I've, I've seen that many times. I've seen it in person. I've seen it um, uh, on other videos now today that get up onto YouTube and get millions and millions of hits. And I explained it just this week to a doctor in California um, that when he asked about this, you know, well, doesn't the baby take a breath? I said, does the baby take a breath in utero? No, it's not until the baby is actually exposed to gravity and and a change in air pressure. Um, and the baby has to fill its lungs with blood uh, called perfusion before the fluids that are in the lungs can disappear and be ready for uh, respiration. And I explained all that and and used the analogy of the intact sac. And the doctor, this was a Skype meeting that we had with a whole room full of doctors. And um, uh, the doctor that was closest to the camera said, oh my gosh, you're exactly right. I'm convinced. <laughs> yeah. And it was only four minutes into my presentation. So... <laughs> It, it doesn't take much to actually understand the physiology that's going on. So water is miraculous, but it's not, it's not the goal for every baby to be born in water. It is the goal for every woman to have um, a labor that puts her in charge facilitates her ability to release her baby, to let the baby be born and have her um, facilitate that birth as the, the vehicle because the baby, as we have learned over this last 30 years, the baby is the driver of the experience. The baby is the one, this new human being is programmed in its brain to follow a timed set sequence of responses and of um, uh, motives and directives from its brain that that will guide it physiologically, will guide it uh, physically, will guide it emotionally to to be born in the best way and easiest way possible through the pelvis. And the more that the woman can relax and stay calm, the easier it is for this baby to be born. So when we when we think of how important that first entrance into the world is for this physical um, and finite human body, that the the water just releases the, the woman's fear and uh, allows her to have comfort, allows her to have more of the oxytocin and more of the endorphins that make the experience easier and faster. Research is now confirming every single part of this, Kaz, mm. every, every single part of it. And it's, it's what I've known innately uh, over the last 32 years. Um, 
right from the get go, I, I I knew that this was something that not only that I wanted to experience that, but I wanted to help facilitate with for other women. Yeah, and the- I, I, I I mean I really yeah for me it seems like a no brainer and 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 you too clearly. I'm I just don't understand where they have the biggest fears. What well, I, I mean you've obviously allayed them already, but where does that come from? When did it start that they were so fearful? I mean, it must. I mean, Waterbuff is not new. Oh, it's anything but new. Um, anthropologically, uh, if we can even go back to the dawn of time, uh, we came out of the water. Uh, I'm going to be attending a very large work, uh, workshop conference at Cambridge University at the end of this month in September. Um, of 2016. Um, and there um, we have one of the presenters is Wallace Nichols, who's a marine biologist. And his book, Blue Mind, How Being Near, On, In, or Underwater Changes Your Brain, is a fascinating read. And he even goes back to um, the, the theory that when the savanna got too hot, the the um, the quadrupeds of our primate ancestors uh, fled and went to the seashore and and lived near, on, and in and under the water. And uh, he explains it that aren't you attracted to picking up seashells when you walk along the beach? Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's He says it's a genetic overlay from the fact that we gathered all of our food out of the, out of the ocean. And, uh, we cracked open shells and ate shellfish and, and, uh, uh, and, and caught our food and we ate seaweeds. And that's why we have the, the high iodine content that we do. And that's what keeps the Japanese so healthy. And, and he goes on and on and on in the book that there, that we have this primitive connection. Michelle O'Donnell talks about it too. And in a book called The Descent of Woman, she, she also, um, and forgive me, the author's name is, is uh, evading me at the moment, but I'll think about, about it. Uh, it'll come to me as I'm talking. Mm-hmm. But The Descent of Woman um, talks about the uh, aquatic ape theories, uh, that that's how we began this life on, um, as humanoids, that we went from quadrupedal to bipedal because we stretched out and floated in the water. That's when we lost our hair on our body and grew our hair long so our children could hold on to it. Um, that's, that's a fascinating theory. That's why we have, have our breasts float so that our babies can nurse while they're in the water. So, um, we, and some women today actually give birth in the water, uh, of the oceans. Um, uh, the, the, uh, Russians have done it. Some Japanese have done it. Um, um, some women have journeyed to the Red Sea, to the, to the Caribbean. Um, and I, I've helped people set those things up. Um, one, couple in particular contacted me and they wanted to give birth in the Mediterranean and they looked all over the coast of Spain and they found the 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 most private place that they could find and then asked me to hire a physician for them to come and be there in case there was any problem because the closest hospital was going to be a two and a half hour boat ride away oh my god <laughs> and they had an incredibly beautiful water birth in um, a um, sunken Roman rock quarry on Costa Blanca near Valencia, Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, and they filmed the whole thing and it eventually showed up on television. So I, I like to talk about and show births in the ocean to people who are fearful about birthing their baby in a nice portable birth pool in a hospital situation (laughs) because it puts it all into perspective we're not asking you to go to the black sea or the red sea or the the caribbean no we're just going to fill a a nice comfortable tub in the hospital 
with uh, 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 body temperature, water, and um, and we're going to set up parameters that say you have to be healthy, the baby has to be healthy, we're going to monitor the baby just like we monitor the baby on the bed. But now you're doing the hardest work that you've ever done in your life and you're comfortable you can relax completely. You can let go and let the baby come out. Um, instead of pushing the baby out, you let the baby out. And there's a big difference in that. We could do a whole podcast on on um, that, that women don't need to push. Um, they need to um, relax enough to let the baby do the work. And water facilitates that. And I think also some of the big um, reasons for me was also just that whole baby going from water to water, the gentleness of it, that that's where they've been and it's not this sudden shock. And, you know, they can really, I mean, in my experience, both my two just gently float up to the surface and it's just very, very calm. Um, I think the thing that was probably most shocking to me because I just didn't think about it beforehand was how silent the birth actually was because of course you feel the baby come out but then you hear nothing because they're underwater and then the other the other thing for me was also just that well your skin is softer in water if it's been in the water for a while that's going to obviously open up and stretch um and be much easier as well and and just um it just made sense to me you know that the umbilical cord and and how they're actually you know, getting oxygenated. And I think that's probably the biggest fear that people have. So maybe if you go on to that a little bit more, I mean, you touched on it as well. Um, with, with, but that's, I think, probably the biggest concern maybe from the midwives, um, pregnant women and and uh, doctors as well, isn't it? It's that the baby's not going to be able to breathe. It's dangerous. Um, that's exactly the uh the two biggest concerns that I hear all the time are, won't the baby attempt to take a breath? And won't the mother and or the baby get an infection? Because we have this wrong perception that birth is sterile, and that we have to drape and gown and glove. And, and uh, if you want to see that birth is not sterile, just go to uh, sub-Saharan Africa or to an indigenous tribe somewhere and see them give birth on, on uh, dirt floors or huts, uh, go to Guatemala, Ecuador, um, uh, some parts of Mexico, and, and these women uh, squat. Uh, or how about, um, uh, I have a film that, that was done in, um, in the uh, upper regions of China, in the Go near the Gobi Desert, with the nomadic peoples, and um, uh, they they use their dung baskets and they lean over their dung baskets. They gather dung for fuel and and uh, to keep themselves warm. And they put a little blanket, their horse blanket, uh, over the dung basket and get on all fours and lean over the basket, and the baby comes out. And birth is anything but sterile. It needs to be clean, yes. But the less we do, the easier it is and the more that the mother and the baby are in control of this process. The baby grows in utero in a fluid environment, as you pointed out. And until the baby comes through the water and up into the air, it's physiologically impossible for the baby to take a breath. The, the mechanisms that start respiration cannot happen until this new human being makes contact with, with um, uh, two kilos per square millimeter of um, gravity on the face and when not on the hand, not on the butt, not on the feet, but on the face where there's receptors around the nose and the mouth and in the cheeks that say to the baby's brain, welcome to planet earth or spaceship earth as I like to call it. <laughs> um, and here on this uh, spaceship, uh, we breathe oxygen and we use our lungs for that up until this point and, and, and 
you you will continue to have about a 10-minute supply from the placenta, which is uh, like the um, the pack that you wear when you scuba dive. So your oxygen tank is attached to you. And we've built in a 10-minute supply of oxygen from the placenta. So babies don't need to take that first breath immediately. We don't need to have babies cry immediately. And we should not ever, ever, ever cut the cord immediately. Even if the baby is, quote unquote, in trouble, we can resuscitate that baby with an intact umbilical cord um, and and let the placenta supply that extra oxygen. We call it a placental transfusion. So it can be up to 100 milliliters of blood that, that will come to the baby just from the placenta. Nature, mother nature, whether you want to call it that or the universe, God, I don't care what you call it, but the design of this human reproductive process is pretty darn good. Amazing. And Amazing. and 98% of all babies left alone on their own would be very good. And what creates the biggest fear are the train wrecks that doctors see in their internships and in their their medical training the nurses when when i went through nurses training 40 plus almost 45 years ago um i i didn't see that many train wrecks our c-section rate then was five percent in the u.s and you had to be 44 weeks before you had a c-section and yes, we had some fetal demises and and all of that. But uh, for the most part, I was uh, as a nursing student. I was put into a room with a laboring mother and uh, told to take care of her. And that laboring mother uh, delivered beautifully. Usually without medication, we didn't have the monitors, we didn't have the epidural then. We had the ultrasounds. We didn't have ultrasounds. I I didn't have ultrasounds with um, uh, my two boys that were born at home. Not a single ultrasound once, nothing. So, so what fear perpetuates fear. And and when you walk into a birth room and you've seen bad outcomes, you've seen uh, emergencies, I call them mostly iatrogenic because the things that we do to women to keep them safe, to keep the baby safe, like strap them down to beds and keep them immobile and uh, take away their food, take away their, their fluids. When you do that, we make birth more difficult and we see more complications. Let alone so, all the white lights and the changing of the guard and the not letting them feel like they're in a you know place that feels safe and nurturing. The 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 most um, powerful words that you can tell a mother in labor are "You are safe," and to encourage her to move her body, to dance, to sing, to make the sounds of birth. Um, and when women make those sounds, we get, you know, they're, they're very sexual and they're very um, uh, stimulating to everybody. And, and every single one of us was born and none of us had good births. And that stimulates our angst over the way that we were born, the way that we were not connected. See, water birth is wonderful and easy and magical, but it's not just the water. It's the fact that we left the cord intact. It's the fact that the baby transfers to the mother's chest right away. The chest is what I call the sanctuary. It's a sacred place where every baby needs to go. And when we see that happen, those babies are so happy to be reconnected with this this physical being that they've known emotionally for nine months from the 20th week of pregnancy on the, the DNA has been laid down. And from the 20th week, the baby's 
blood flow is tied to the mother's emotions. So a calm mother produces a calm baby. And if the baby immediately connects in that sacred space that I call the sanctuary, it's a safe place, a sacred place. Niels Bergman, one of the lead researchers on skin-to-skin contact and kangaroo care, calls it the habitat. And if you take the word habitat and translate it into Chinese, it's two characters, environment for living. And that is the only environment for for human beings to go to. If you went and watched a gorilla give birth, that gorilla, the mother gorilla, would pick up the baby and put it on her chest with the umbilical cord still intact and the placenta drops out later and basically breaks and falls off and everything is fine. Now, if we came to that mother gorilla and said, oh, excuse me, um, but I'd like to weigh your baby and inject it with all kinds of poison chemicals at the moment, um, what do you think that gorilla mother would do? Mm. <laughs> she, would, mm. she, would, she would bite your head off. And uh, I show a picture of a gorilla mother holding a baby, and then I show a picture of a human mother holding a baby immediately after birth and say, what's the difference between these two pictures? Well, the gorilla, we would never, ever take the gorilla baby away. And what makes you think that a human baby needs a hat? A human baby needs to be suctioned. A human baby needs to be injected. A human baby needs to be weighed and measured and all of that. All of that can be delayed. And that's what we saw with home water birth when I first started. So the the first hospital in the U.S. to offer water births wasn't until 1991. And by then, I'd already apprenticed and was catching babies as a midwife um, and uh, and helping and, and sending out information to uh, uh, women all over the world and connecting with practitioners all over the world uh, about uh, birthing and, and laboring and giving birth in water. So there's, there's certain things, I, I call it even the seven secrets of successful water birth. <laughs> that, and one of the secrets is leave the baby and mother together We can listen to the baby's heartbeat. We can listen for the baby's respirations. But babies in that sanctuary after they're born, they don't cry. They they might make a few ah, 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 but then they they feel the mother's heartbeat. They feel the mother's uh, warmth. Her chest has built-in uh, temperature receptors uh, me- that measure the baby's temperature every four seconds and give that information to her brain. And her brain has the ability to raise or lower her core temperature based on the baby's temperature. Now, who figured that out? Mm-hmm. You know, what machine can duplicate that? They can't. They can't. So, and I, I haven't cut a cord uh, before the placenta was born or delivered uh, for the last 30 years. And um, it's now popular to talk about delayed cord clamping. I call it optimal cord clamping. But that's what we did in all of our early water births. We waited until the placenta came. And if you look back in history, uh, I collect old medical textbooks, and one that was published in 1889 says, do not cut the umbilical cord until the placenta delivers, otherwise the infant will suffer a sickly childhood. With so much great information provided on each episode, we've created an easy way for you to stay up to date on keeping your family happy, healthy, and safe. For exclusive content, as well as show notes, links for everything we discuss on the episode, as well as a free newsletter to help keep you informed, visit mumsthewordpodcast.com. Now, if you fast forward to um, uh, 2002, um, Van Rainen et al. published a report that measured the amount of iron stores in placental transfusion blood, and there's enough iron in the placenta to keep that that new baby well and um, 
with good hemoglobin and good iron stores for the entire first year. And if you cut the cord immediately, then you have an anemic baby who's more susceptible to infections of, of the lungs, the, the, um, uh, the ears, the nose, the throat, all of that. And that's, that's where historically we lost a lot of babies um, in the first year because those babies were all anemic um, when cord cutting started being uh, very popular. So, you know, Mother Nature, as I said, has it all figured out. And we just have to go back and look at the actual physiology, how it works, and then how it combines with the mind. Because today, we have the benefit of knowing through research, through studies, and through our innate knowledge that the mind controls the body. And uh, we, the body will respond to a thought the baby responds to a thought. Um, If the mother in pregnancy has a frightening experience or has high anxiety, the baby's heart rate goes up. In labor, if the mother is full of fear, the baby's heart rate goes up. And uh, how do we get stressed out babies? Well, we make the mothers afraid. And um, so the reverse is, is just the opposite. How do we make babies calm? Well, we keep the environment peaceful. We walk into the room and hold the space. That's another of the seven secrets of successful water birth is having you inside yourself as the doula, the doctor, the midwife, the nurse, we walk into the room and we bring the presence of confidence. We bring the presence of love. We bring the presence of, of, um, of, of knowingness and, and comfort uh, and help this woman relax into her labor and help her greet every single one of those energetic rushes that come through her body with, with uh, welcomeness and love, knowing that each one is opening her like a flower so that the baby can emerge in its own time and its own way. And the water facilitates that so beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, beautiful. I, I totally am for water birth, as you know. Um, but just for the benefit of the woman who maybe wants to have some research, um, or some articles on the safety of it, are there any, um, any articles or research studies that we could direct them to, to look into the safety and efficacy, just so that maybe they wanted to say it to their, um, birth provider or their partner if they may be up for it and the other half isn't or is there any is there anything being done oh my goodness <laughs> there is uh, to date um the first article that was published about water birth was in a French medical journal in 1805. Yes, you heard the date right, 1805. Um, The next one that was published was also by a French doctor, Michel Adon. It was published in an English uh, journal called The Lancet, and that was 1983. Since 1983, there have been over 100,000 cases of water birth reported statistically in research studies. Wow. And and there are now so many studies that there are meta-analyses. And a a wonderful one by Davis et al. was just done in Australia, as a matter of fact. It looked at the studies and concluded that water birth is as good as or better than um, uh, birth on the bed. And that was looking at at least 30 studies where they, they looked at the, at the outcomes for women. They looked at the outcomes for babies. So there's two current 2016 meta analyses. And there's another one that's being published here in the U S um, uh, very soon by some researchers at Emory university at Atlanta. Now, um, if anyone would, uh, there there are some links on my website at waterbirth.org, but if anyone would like me to email them studies, I'm happy to send them 
um, things that I've written. Um, and you can send me an email at info at waterbirth.org. My team will pick it up and just title it, uh, I Need Research Studies. We're, we're happy to send those out to anyone who asks. So it just seems shocking to me that there is such, um, I don't know, such a push against certain medical, um, I guess, facilities. I mean, I'm pretty sure from one of our um, guests that in Perth it's, it's not even possible to have a water birth. And why is there such a backlash against it if it's so safe? I mean, what is their argument then? Is it they just don't have the facilities? They don't want to spend the money on a, on a, on a birth pool in the hospital? Or what are the big things that you come up against? Well, it goes beyond um, not installing the pool. It goes, it goes into the fact that our medical education uh, all over the world creates doctors, midwives, and nurses that are terribly frightened about birth. That every birth, every woman, pregnant woman, laboring woman that walks through the door is a potential train wreck waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. I, I think I published this saying, and let me see if I can remember to get it right, but I put it in my book, my 2005 book of gentle birth choices, um, um, that doctors look at birth as an emergency, and if it happens naturally, it's a miracle. And midwives look at birth as a miracle. And um, if it, uh, and if a, an emergency happens, um, um, they, they treat it naturally. <laughs> so, um, so it's just, it's kind of polar opposites. And um, uh, I was lecturing at a hospital in, uh, in a medical school in David, Panama. And uh, one of the questions, one of the very first questions I asked, and the, these doctors and nurses were just getting ready to start their first rotation into obstetrics. And they had me come in and give a full day lecture. And the first question I asked was, how many of you are terrified of birth? And every single hand of 150 students went up. And I said, okay, well, then I'm glad I'm here. Um, and I gave them a full day lecture. And at the end of the day, I asked, and how many of you now are not so terrified of birth? And I showed lots of videos. I showed beautiful pictures. I explained the physiology um, I talked about women's empowerment, and at the end of the day, out of the 150 students, maybe two dozen hands still went up. So there, there was a there was an impact in that. I've done the same thing in India, in China, and all over the world. We we our medical education focuses on the accidents and the emergencies. Well, so does and the television too, doesn't it, the movies? Exactly, and, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and when we have that as the culture, cultural norm, how can we come in who have experienced a blissful, uh, super easy, um, uh, fulfilling, empowering birth experience, we become the, the strange person in the room when everybody's saying, get the epidural, ladies, um, even Oprah said that, um, uh, you know, how can, how can it be that, that we can be glowing about our empowered birth experiences when the cultural norm is pain and suffering and the need for medical intervention? So um, it's, it's still been tough to, uh, to face that. But I embrace it. I embrace the challenge with love. I embrace uh, all the doctors. And when I walk into a room full of, of physicians, uh, I lectured in China in May to a room of 3,000 doctors and midwives. Wow. And I, I, I just got up on the podium and said, um, through my words, through the pictures, I love you. I love the fact that that you love to help women. And that's what we need to do. We need to walk into every single birth room with that 
that attitude of understanding the spiritual effects of birth as well. When we disconnect from from the from the source, from the energy stream, if you want to call it source, God, Buddha, Jesus, I don't care what you call it, but there's a divinity that that surrounds us. The the Chinese call it qigong, um, the the qi, the principle of there's an energy that's greater than us that comes through us that that dictates our health, and when we disconnect from that energy we disconnect from the energy of birth. And so part of my job is to help people reconnect and water helps us reconnect to that energy. It's just instantaneous. You put a tub of water in a room. Wallace Nichols talks about that. It's the, it's that those negative ions that, that, that get us back into that connection that's why we feel so good when we walk along the beach. That's why we feel so good near a body of water that's flowing. Um, in Chinese, it's called feng shui. The Chinese word for water is shui. It's movement. It moves the energy. And even and when, when you've had a bad day or a long, heavy day, you want to soak in a bath yourself, you know? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Or, or put a waterfall. Uh, I told a medical director uh, at a large hospital in Los Angeles re- recently, I said, if you can't afford the tubs yet, just put small water fountains, uh, you know, flowing fountains in every room and the energy of birth will change. And it's true. It's absolutely true. Some form of flowing water will help women reconnect to the energy that's flowing through their bodies. And we, on the planet, we have to reconnect with that flowing energy. We have to do a big, you know, collective deep breath and and let that energy just flow through us i think it's also that we are water aren't we i mean we are 98 percent water in utero and we're surrounded by water as adults we're 95 percent water and water has a memory water uh water are our Every single one of our cells uh, holds that water memory and, um, and facilitates that energy flow through our bodies. So, yes, water is miraculous. That's, that's another one of the seven secrets of successful water birth. <laughs> so, I have a new book coming out next oh, year, great, 2017, great. and it's actually called Birth, Bath, and Beyond. The, the subtitle is The Science, the Safety, and the Spirit of Birth in Water. Um, and I'm having so much fun writing it because it's, a, it's the culmination of uh, 32 years yeah. of investigation and, and contacts in 90 countries where water birth is, is, is happening, including Australia. And... Um, my mission statement that I formed years ago was that that Waterbirth International ensures that that um, the possibility of laboring and giving birth in water is made real for every woman, no matter the birth setting. That we ensure that water is an available option. And that's what my job is about. So I'm 65 years old and I don't see retirement anytime in the future. <laughs> no, no, you travel, you definitely travel a lot. So yeah, your mission, you're, you're definitely on a mission. Um, I'm sure you have hundreds, but I would love you to share um, a quote or an affirmation, I guess, as it relates well to birth in general, but maybe even to water birth and it's a meaning to you. Well, my byline for years is water birth is easier for moms and better for babies. So, um, and I love helping women get into hot water. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Well, um, what I would really love to hear as well is, you know, what would you, if you could go back and tell your, um, your pregnant self or a mom that's now pregnant, what piece of advice would you give her? Um, to 
connect with your baby on a deep spiritual level. And that means talking to your baby every day. In every single one of my groups that I teach, I have women put their hands on their belly, take a deep breath and say, I love you. Thank you. I can't wait to meet you. I can't wait to hold you. Thank you. Thank you for coming to me. And if you do that 10 times a day, your baby won't be able to wait either. (laughs) And nobody told me that, but I did it instinctually. I just put my hands on my belly and I sang to my baby. Uh, Every single one of my children has a different song. And I think we have those inborn within us, but it requires turning off the TV, turning off the computer, turning off the phone, and, and spending time alone with your baby or with your partner and your baby in nature. Nature is the great teacher. Nature is the great um, equalizer. And hopefully near water, take a walk on a beach, walk in a forest, walk by a river, walk by a stream, and just spend that time with yourself, with your partner, with your baby, and and welcome this pregnancy. If we all did that, our births would be so much easier. And I, and I wish someone had told me that um, uh, 32 years ago. Um, and the other, the other piece is just really focus on your breath, let your breath, because when you're in labor, you can't do anything but breathe. And if you hold your breath, you're holding back the energy, that same feng shui, that, that water flowing through you, your breath, just visualize it like water and let it flow through you and your, your, your uh, labor will be a thousand times easier. Yeah, yeah. One thing I know that um, you mentioned when we tried this recording the first time when um, the connection wasn't fantastic in China and we got cut off so many times, um, that your grandmother was a midwife. My grandmother was indeed a midwife, Estella. Uh, she, her, her, her nickname was Stella, which means star. And now she's one of my uh, A-team, my angel team, and she's come to me many times and told me um, uh, how to handle a birth and what to do. But there was a point in her career when her hands had touched every living citizen in the county where she worked. And uh, she did home births in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. She finally retired uh, late in the 1960s when she developed uh, breast cancer. Um, but in those days, they didn't have the radiation and the chemotherapy, and she lived seven years with cancer and had a very good life, and and uh, she had a double mastectomy, and and uh, she was quite the inspiration. So yes, yeah, she's my she's my angel, t- part of my angel team for sure. Amazing, amazing. Well, um, touching on the advice that you would give um, that you would give someone, what what's the best advice that you've ever received? Um, to sing, to sing through my labor, to, to let the sound out. And, um, it was chanting actually. And, um, I decided to chant hallelujah. Uh, hallelujah is actually Aramaic for praise be to God. Hallelujah. And, um, during those contractions, the the energy rushes, the feng shui of the energy that was moving through my body, they would start and I would just go, ha, I didn't even get hallelujah out, you know, and just the ha, and every once in a while, hallelujah. <laughs> I think um, every midwife knows this, and and I know you would too as well as probably every chiropractor, but probably for the benefit of the mums that are um, about to give birth is that, you know, when we open and relax the jaw, we also open and relax the pelvis. 
you know, yeah. and, and, and obviously letting go and a hallelujah is a very open wide jaw. And it's something yeah. that's probably instinctively, you know, you're doing it just from within, you know, same as the motion of the pelvis and moving around in birth. It, it comes from within. It's, a no, it's an inner knowing that you just don't want to sit still. Yeah, no, and and your baby, um, I, I, I sing a song in my workshops that says, uh, if you want the baby to move, move the mother. <laughs> if, if you want the baby to move, move the mother. If the baby looks stuck, get the mother up. If you want the baby to move, move the mother. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. Thank you. Um, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I'm loving this. If, if you could share, Barbara, please, some resources and, and of course we'll touch on yours, but if you could share some, you've mentioned um, a lot of uh, doctors and I'll put them in the show notes and any websites that they have, like uh, um, Michelle Adore, for example, any websites they have connected to them. But if there's any books or or other websites that you recommend where people can look into this further? Um, well, I just wrote a forward for a new edition of Revisiting Waterbirth and Attitude to Care by Diane Garland. She's a British midwife. She and I have been working together since 1989 to keep track of where waterbirth is happening in the world. So Revisiting Waterbirth and Attitude to Care, her new edition will be out um, uh, right after the first of the year. Um, my book, Gentle Birth Choices, has a huge chapter in water birth, and then the new book will be out next year in the fall, um, A Birth, Bath, and Beyond. Um, there are multiple websites. One of the best websites for research, not just about water birth, but any type of birth, is childbirthconnection.org. Uh, just fabulous. And one of my favorite authors is uh, Sarah Buckley, who's an Australian um, uh, physician, and she has authored a paper on the um, uh, the hormones of birth, and it's up on uh, the Childbirth Connections website. And uh, then my website is waterbirth.org. There's waterbirth.net, which is the Andalus Waterbirth Center. And they have beautiful pictures of photographs. And I have Facebook, Waterbirth International. My, my Facebook page is just Facebook slash waterbirth. That's Barbara Harper. And um, I, I just posted one of the most beautiful water births. And in three days, it had 3.5 million hits, uh, views um, of a an unassisted singing, basically letting the baby out water birth. So um, the resources are multitudinous these days. Yeah. Yeah, no, we're really lucky that we have such, you know, access at our fingertips and we don't have to go searching in the library. We don't have to get to the library anymore. We can just search in our own homes. I'm so grateful for your time. And, uh, you know, as I said, we did this twice and, um, you know, there's been a lot of uh, things in between for both of us. So, yeah, so good that we got to get this out. I'm very excited to share the message of water birth and, and possibility for women out there. And, and maybe if there's just one person who, who didn't even have it in their in their mind's eye at all, we might have even just put a little idea and sparked, you know, sparked an aha moment for someone. Then I know that we've, um, we've done our job here. Um, grateful for the work that you're doing and i know that you can see what you're doing i'm i'm very very excited about your new book and um i can't wait till the day that we actually are on you know in the same city at the same time and can actually meet in person i feel very connected well um get me a teaching invitation to australia and i'll do a tour and i'll get perth back on track i promise really good and we can do maybe a um a book launch here or something like that next year that would be great I would love that. Yeah, yeah. It's been really special. Um, your book is something that landed in my hands in at the end of my um, first pregnancy and I also didn't really have water birth on my radar and it was more just something that I thought, well, yeah, if I want to get in and feel warm and cozy and never did I really envision, envisage myself actually birthing um, in water and now I have two water babies that, um, yeah, I feel very proud of uh, having birth at home. 
And um, well, just wanted to say, yeah, again, so, so very grateful for everything that you do. I mean, you travel the globe, you, you work with, you know, tirelessly. I know you're so passionate and it is your mission. You exude it in every level. And um, just, yeah, so, so, so grateful. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Kaz, for inviting me. I, I had fun. Yeah, me too, me too. Well, we might have to get you back when that new book is out just to um, talk a bit more. I want to talk about what the beyond is. Yeah, I'd like to hear that too. Okay, excellent. All right. Thank you. Uh Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Good day to you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Mums the Word. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, and join us on our Facebook page to help us share the message to more mums all over the world. We look forward to having you join us again next time here on your trusted source for all mums everywhere, Mums the Word. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.